0: Well, everybody, I always wanted to walk up during dramatic uh, entry music, <laughs> but um, no, I'm really excited about our plan. Uh, it's it, it just every time I watch that, I'm excited about what God's going to do here in Frederick. My name is John Keeler. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Uh, I actually have the opportunity to close out our parable series on the uh, parable of the shrewd manager. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed the parable series over the summer. For me, it was just a great opportunity to hear some old stories from when I was young um, and just hear a new spin and and just uh, take a different application uh, in life. This parable, as luck would have it, when we were doling out the parables, uh, this is actually known as the most difficult and puzzling parable to interpret. So I drew the short straw. New guy gets the last uh, pick, but... The good news is, regardless of the many, many uh, interpretations I read, there's one application in every single interpretation. Um, That's also the bad news, though, because this one's going to be a challenging one. It, It really will, and it was for me. But I will say that God encouraged me through my study that this is really all about tying into our eternal purpose. And that encouragement can carry forward today with you as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your generous gift of resources that you've bestowed on us here on earth. We don't always understand why you've made us your stewards, but we're thankful and grateful to be a part of that work. We just ask that you will show us what you will have us do, give us wisdom, challenge us, encourage us to develop an eternal perspective, renewing our minds on truth and removing the pull of this world on our bodies and our relationships. We just ask that your Holy Spirit will empower us to see the true joy and fulfillment that you have for us. Amen. All right, as a quick summary, we know that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus frequently used these parables to really draw out a spiritual context for his audience, and at the same time, he would use them to divide the audience. He would have some that would actually be open to listening to the truth, and they would decide to follow him or obey him. Others would be proud or too distracted and arrogant to actually listen, and so they'd harden their hearts. The same is true today with God's word. It does the same thing in our lives. Now, this specific parable starts off in Luke 16, and the entire chapter is about one of my favorite topics, money, Um, but... There is a broader application to the general use of all the resources god 's given us he 's specifically talking to his disciples in this parable and he 's really trying to show them how to properly use their wealth and not love it in fact, at this time the Pharisees were actually kind of overhearing this this uh, discussion between Jesus and his disciples and At the end, when Jesus gave the punchline of this story, the Pharisees scoffed and laughed at the message, and it actually prompted Jesus to turn to them and give them the parable of the rich man and Lazarus that you can read uh, at your leisure. So before I get started on the actual um, text of this parable, let me just take a quick moment to tell you a little bit about my story. I think for most of you that I've met, you know that I started off uh, my career 17 years in the financial services industry. I um, started a job uh, right on the phones at T Rowe Price uh, many years ago, and had a lot of energy right out of college. I wore my 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 faith on my sleeve. Then I would talk to my colleagues, my uh, people in my training class about Jesus. I would. Um, share, you know, the good news, right? And I was excited to do that. Um, in fact, back then, I would give people like tapes that they could listen to, um, and CDs eventually. But um, I'd give them some of the tapes that I had from my dad that would say, "Hey, I think you're really struggling with something. Let me give you a tape you can listen to." Um, and I gave people books to read, different things that I and, and I just I just tried to, you know, be intentional about my relationships. Over time, though, I guess uh, success got the better of me. I actually started to get to a certain place in my career where I really started to worry a little bit about my reputation. Um, you know, what type of person would I be known for? Would, would, would I be looking the part of, of the next role? I had a, I had a job um, in, in, at one point where my manager told me, hey, you got to always look, for, look the part for the job you want next. And so it required a lot more Time, effort, stress—you um, know—and so eventually, you know, I, I started to—it started to take a toll on me a little bit. And at the time, we had this this uh, new leader of our department that came in, and she was really uh, intent on on teaching all of us and, and training us managers. Hey, you got to connect each and every one of your employees with their purpose, their true purpose of their job. I thought, okay, yeah, that's good. Well, what did she tell us? So. She would always say, our purpose is to help over 2 million Americans retire with confidence. All right. Well, when I would drive home, I'd laugh to myself and say, yeah, I'm spending 70 hours a week missing soccer games, um, birthdays, different things, and stressed out to the point that I can barely sleep at night so that rich Americans can retire on the golf course. Sounds good. Um, I wasn't buying it myself and over and over again, I I kept wondering, okay, well, maybe this is just the way it's supposed to be, right? That, you know, my job is, is, is where I work. I get, I get a good paycheck and, and that's fine, right? Church is for purpose. Church is where I can find purpose. And I would tell people that I'd say, well, hey, the most important thing to do is find a job that pays you as much as possible for what you do best in life. That's really what you're supposed to be doing, um, you know. We're all meant to work and earn a living and, and provide for our families and our futures. So I thought I was doing the right thing. Um, the interesting thing is I was getting more and more involved in church, and I, so I found an outlet for purpose. I was able to teach and serve at my church, and that gave me joy. But as Sunday night rolled around, so did my ulcer that kept coming back, and I would worry about Monday. I would stress out. And that was the cycle I lived in. And I don't know you here today, and, I, and I'm and i sure I'm not the only one that's ever dealt with that, right? Um, how many of you guys are feeling dry? You women out there working for the paycheck and the benefits for your family, um, just thinking, I guess that's all I have to do. I, you know, God created us, I guess, uh, to work 80 hours of our waking hours of life, um, you know, and work, and then you can find pleasure and, and, and fulfillment in other ways. But Let's pause on that story. I'll, I'll wrap that up at the end just to keep you here in your seats. But let's look at Luke 16, one through 2 to open this parable. Now, he was also saying to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him in and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Well, he got the pink slip. Uh, This manager was essentially a trustee of of this rich man or or the master. He was supposed to work hard to earn more money or more resources for the master. Apparently what we see from this text, uh, he mismanaged or squandered the money. The important thing here on the use of squander is that he's just bad at his job. He was kind of fell asleep at the wheel, and he he didn't necessarily commit any fraud or or steal from the manager or from the master, but he was just bad at his job. Otherwise, he he most likely would have been thrown into jail if it was stealing. So that's an important context as as we move forward in the story. And the master actually gave him an opportunity, a short window of time, to go gather up his accounts and come back and present them to the master, Up until this point, this this manager was not planning for his future. He didn't think he was going to lose his job. He didn't have any cares at that point until suddenly he was called into account. Now we get to see a little bit of inner dialogue inside this this manager's head. Let's uh, continue reading three and four. The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. So, well, at least he was honest with himself. Um, he definitely recognized he had a problem and he didn't try to imagine it away. Uh, he, he realized he was just a steward, so he didn't own anything and he was going to be out uh, of a job pretty soon. The, the bad thing that happened here is while he was in his profession, he forgot that stewardship has the other side of a coin of accountability. Um, I, I, I missed that a couple times in my career. This is something that I got distracted from over and over again. The true use of the resources and accountability that um, was before me. I want to remind you, you know, as Christians, we're not ever again held accountable for our sins. We're not ever condemned again for those sins. Jesus paid all that, as we heard in our song. And Romans 8.1 tells us there's therefore now no condemnation. But, but, our works will be judged. They will. Um, as, you, as I read here, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And if we really believe this, if we really believe this, This is the believer's judgment. Wouldn't it be reflected in our use of our time, talents, and possessions? I'm speaking to you in the room. I'm speaking to myself, honestly, and that's why it was challenging to walk through this. Are you really using the resources God's given you? Um, You know, are you using them for his glory? Are you being prompted by him to take action in certain areas of your life? Or, like this steward, are you kind of forgetting about the accountability piece of that? So let's move on. In verse 5, and he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write 80. So what we have here is, you can see in the in the use of the words, there's there's a lot of activity and quick activity. He's acting immediately to make preparations for his future. So at least he's getting his act together. I think many of us wait too long for that, right? You keep thinking that there's going to be that time like there's there, I can just put this off a little bit longer you're just gonna you, you're feeling a prompting from God or the Holy Spirit and you, you're just kind of putting it off a little bit longer it's you know I, I'm gonna pay off that loan first then I'll then I'll start giving then I can or you know what as soon as I finish my degree as soon as I wrap up that project at the house then I'll, I'll actually share you know share my time and and serve or you know what, maybe if I get to know that neighbor a little bit better, then then I'll tell him about Jesus, and around, you know, then I'll invite him to church or my small group. So there's always something, right? There's always something preventing that now action. It's the distractions, okay? But what did he accomplish here as he quickly summoned the master's debtors? Well, essentially, in this society, it's an honors-based society that they lived in. So he essentially was doing them a favor that they would later have to return to him. He was thinking of his future. When his luck ran out, when he was out of a job and had nothing, they would owe him, and they would support him and help him. Now, the audience at this point, both the uh, Pharisees and the disciples, would be on the edge of their seat. Okay, this guy just cut the the master's income in half. Uh, What's he going to do? Well, the other stories that Jesus told... They would be thinking right now, surely this guy's going to be punished in outer darkness, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth. But we read on, and, and at the surprise of all of us, the story goes on. And I'm, I'm just going to cut this off at 9 to make, uh, you know, to keep with time. But I just want to read you 8 and 9. And the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. The first thing to point out is that the praise came from the earthly master. Okay, it wasn't necessarily from Jesus. In the story, the master was praising him for his shrewdness. Well, let's... It, on the surface, you know, I, I, when I first read it, I'm like, what, what's so shrewd about this activity? I mean, he, it's pretty blatant what he did. Well, there's a little bit more to this story. The, the manager actually wasn't doing anything significantly dishonest here. And I'll tell you why. If you read your Bible in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, various parts, Israelites were um, prohibited from charging interest to fellow Jews. Okay, well, as with everything, they got around this by, you know, maybe in this case, uh, you know, if somebody owed them 80 measures of oil, they'd say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to lend you 80 measures of oil. Write me an IOU for 100. So there's no interest there, right? It's just, you're just promising to give me more. It, they would get their way around the law. So what he was doing, and I, and I read back at some historical accounts from Josephus, And at the time, the two commodities we're looking at here, oil, olive oil, was so volatile that they typically would charge 100% commission in these arrangements. And wheat was typically around 25%. So the the numbers match Jesus' story that that really show that the manager was dropping the interest off. Well, what makes that so shrewd? Well, again, in this honors-based society, honor was king over everything. Um, the master for his to save face would do anything, even even forego the commissions and the interest because he would be disgraced if he went and reversed this discount. So he was kind of trapped into letting the discount stand to save face and to kind of garner more favor with his tenants. So the shrewdness of the manager was really finding an irrevocable way to, allow the debtors to owe him in the long run and not get in trouble. You know, not to be turned over to the authorities because the master couldn't do that because he was kind of doing something underhanded anyway. So that's the that's the key point. And it's interesting, I, I love these little asides, but as I was reading that, this stuff still happens in Israel today. They get around the law all the time. It's illegal to milk your cow on the Sabbath. Okay? Well, over time, though, they, they said, well, it's not illegal if you do it for the cow's benefit. So any, anybody has milked a cow before in their life? I don't know how to tell if it's for their benefit or not. <laughs> but the elders in Israel have determined that over the years, and they came up with a law. They said, okay, well, it's, it's okay to milk a cow on the Sabbath if it's for its benefit, and that is essentially by releasing the milk over rocks seems fair, I guess. I don't know. Uh, shrewd Israelites decided, okay, I got an idea. I'm going to sterilize rocks, put them in a bucket, and then we'll milk the cow over the rocks, and everything will be fine. I won't break any laws. Well, on technicality, sure. But this kind of stuff happens all the time. But this is essentially what, what the master was doing, and the the shrewd manager got to the heart of that and, and found a way around that. Now, regardless of our interpretation, we know specifically Christ is telling us as children of light, each and every one of us that are believers, we're children of light. And he's saying you need to pursue the eternal with the same amount of tenacity and like, excitement and energy that the sons of this age used to amass massive amounts of wealth for the same energy that they put into their own earthly uh, treasures. And and how many of us do that? I, I'm guilty of this. I, I don't you know, I, I think back at the number of bosses that I've had that would live estranged from their families so that they could devote themselves to their job and not, you know, pick them up and move them with them. Um, I, I think of you know, many that would, would do everything they can, every scheme, every plan. You think of the Shark Tank show, the investors on the Shark Tank. Um, I've always been a fan of Warren Buffett. I mean, these people are amazing. And they will give every last ounce of life to amass things that will go away one day. And, and do we do that uh, from an eternal perspective? The key takeaway Jesus gives us here is his next point. And I, wa- I want you to write this one down. Make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, and we know that it will one day, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. He's saying, use your resources to win people to heaven, right? Your resources, all of your resources, your time, your talent, your money, supporting your church, missions work, supporting your church, um, using the opportunities that God gives you, right? To be courageous enough to use that relationship you've built with a colleague, you know, not taking those things for granted. I like to think about it this way. Do you realize that when your stewardship is finished here on earth, okay, and everything's gone and you can't take anything with you, the only thing you can send ahead of you to heaven is people, okay? That's the only thing that you can take with you. I I love this story. So, my my younger brother actually was on uh, the preaching staff of the McLean Bible Church in, in Virginia. Um, the senior pastor at the time, his name was Lon Solomon, great guy, awesome preacher. Well, I, I somehow stumbled across his story this week when I was just you know thinking about um, some illustrations, and he tells his story, and it's an amazing one. You got to find it out on the internet and listen to it, but he tells us that. He grew up as a young Jewish boy. He was at school the one time, and this girl made him question his eternity by telling him that if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. So he he was a little concerned about that. So what does every Jewish, uh, you know, good Jewish boy do? He went to his rabbi, and his rabbi said, "Don't worry about it. You're 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 a Jew. You're you're, you know, one of God's people. You don't have to worry about it. All Jews go to heaven." So he was kind of you know, satisfied with that answer. Didn't really quite understand why. Even if he was a bad guy, he'd still go to heaven. But he went on to explain that that kind of started this spark, this, this eternal spark within him, understanding, why, what, you know, what is there to life? He, he saw, saw no meaning in life. It took him off a, a side trail. He got into drugs, alcohol, sex. Um, he actually tells the story of how he almost got arrested for, drug, uh, for sale, selling drugs, but they got the wrong house, and they, and they arrested someone else that was selling drugs. And, and so his story, you know, could have been completely different. But I, I say this because eventually he landed uh, on campus I- at Chapel Hill, and there was this guy that would come every Saturday. He would volunteer his time. He'd hand out tracts. He'd talk about Christ, right? And, 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 you know, Lon said nobody really paid attention to him, but, but that intrigued him. So he, you know, was at a point where he was exploring foreign religions at the time. So he's like, oh, yeah, I want to just talk to this guy. So he starts talking to the guy. And over several conversations, a couple weeks, this guy leads Lon Solomon to Christ. He changes his life. He becomes a senior pastor later on in his career. And millions of lives are touched, Okay. Thousands of people came to know the Lord because of Lon Solomon, but not just because of Lon Solomon, because of the guy that talked to him, who volunteered his time, who was courageous enough to, you know, put it out there and to hand out tracts and talk about the good news. These stories, you know, not every story is that magnificent, and not every story is that well-known. Sometimes you don't even know the person you're talking to, the one you know, act of kindness and love and sharing Christ to someone, what that does in someone's life. I actually had an opportunity to meet someone, you know, almost 15 years after I had been, I invited them to Word of Life uh, basketball, you know, events when I was a kid. That was big. We, we would do Super Bowl things over at the, the youth pastor's house. And, and I would invite uh, all my friends when I was younger just in the hope that that one could be reached for christ and i you know i really didn't I really didn't have a, a, a tremendous opportunity to lead too many people to the lord i don 't know i 'm guessing i 'm not alone in that right and most of us don't have an opportunity to lead thousands or hundreds to the lord we 're lucky for one um, but that guy, one of the guys uh, you know that i that I had been over and over again. His name is John Koval, and I and I had been talking to him. I saw him at one of these like reunion things, and he was a Christian. And he's like, "Hey, you know, it was because you kept inviting me, and you know, just after a while, it just I, I realized that I was missing the the true point of life." And and we don't all get those stories. I think of the many other stories. Um, you know, that balloon up there. Um, who had uh, you know an opportunity to talk to Allie about? Christ here at church, who volunteered their time, her parents, you know, investing in that relationship. I I had a a Sunday school teacher who didn't even know that in leading, you know, the gospel message every Sunday, I started thinking about it one day, and I went home and and, and accepted Christ. We don't know, you know, and now here I'm in ministry, and I, I don't even know who she was, to be honest with you, but in heaven, we'll know. We'll know, and we'll share those stories, and that's what it's all about. It's investing for that eternal reward and perspective. Now, we've all heard that message before, so why don't we all change, right? Why aren't we all on fire for the Lord? Because, goodness, if we were, this, this world would be different, I can assure you that. So what happens? Well, as I was thinking about this and meditating on it and thinking about how do I really, you know, point out the distractions that, that get us caught off guard... The Lord led me to the, ver- the very first parable we, we taught on. Uh, Pastor Eric got up and he taught about the, the soils, right? Well, let me read for you Mark four nineteen. But the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the, deci- the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Well, I know that John 1, 1 tells me that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. So this word is Jesus, the gospel, right? The gospel message. It chokes. It gets choked out in our lives. Why? Well, there's three main choking components, and I think I've been choked by all three myself. The worries of this world. We're told over and over again not to worry, but I think that only makes me worry more. I think when I was preparing for my sermon, my my wife was like, Hey, don't worry, you'll do fine. I'm like, okay. Now I'm really worried. <laughs> like, why? Why did you have to tell me not to worry? Um, but that's na- that's natural. What is it? We're, we're trying to uh, take control over something we have no right to control, right? We're taking, you know, we're trying to step into God's shoes, and 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 we're we're getting worried about things. The deceitfulness of riches. This was definitely an issue for me at times in my life, and I did. I, I would never have said it that way. I wouldn't say, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm controlled by the deceitfulness of riches. But it's slow. It's steady. Okay? Wealth tells you that if you just get a little bit more of me, you'll be happy. Everything will be fine. You'll, you'll, you know, I'll take care of your future. The problem is wealth becomes your master, and you don't even know it. It's subtle. Somebody once defined money as an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven. And as a universal provider of everything except happiness, isn't that the truth? First uh, Timothy six seventeen through nineteen. This is a great verse. Write this one down. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. That's a, an encouraging, uh, encouraging word of God to me. The last uh, piece here, the desires of this world. These are distractions that take our eyes off of God. We all like to think we can multitask. Ask the guy that was texting and backed into another car if he can multitask we can't we can never multitask if you take your eyes off of God onto the deceitfulness and, and, and the and the distractions of this world you're 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 turning away from you know your your internal purpose um, really quick story here my kids were asking about my wife's um, engagement ring. And, and we kind of told him a story about how the, the diamond popped off. And it was a really horrible story. Two, two weeks after I had engaged to Julie, it, it fell off. And she was panicked that she had lost the, the ring. And I'm trying to explain to these my young kids why you would ever spend $5,000 on a ring. But think about it. The distractions of this world It made me realize, what do we do here in our culture? We tell young people about ready to get married to spend $5,000 on a ring, uh, $2,000 on a dress, the average of $30,000 on a wedding, all um, at a time when I think they are choking to death with college loans and making the least amount of money in their career. Okay, that's a distraction. But... Let me move on and, and wrap up with my story, uh, or at least to close of my story. So it, after a while, um, God actually led me to the most unlikely answers to my kind of quest in, in, in eternal purpose in my job. At the time, it was not to get into ministry. That was several years later and another story. But it was this boss that I had, this brand new boss from Fidelity. He came in, he set the bar high, he, you know, We could never meet his expectations, and he was uh, Italian and Catholic. And um, the interesting thing is, I, I don't believe he was saved at the time he came into the company, but he was really big on talking about God. So I started to see this guy in every management session talk about faith, family, God, and, and I thought, wait a minute here, this Catholic guy is going to, like, witness more than me i'm a pastor's son what's going on here but i i I started to see him in practice and and the one time i was having a one-on-one with somebody on my team and he was observing it to kind of give me coaching and he he stopped me dead in my tracks when i was was talking to this guy and and he looked at the guy and said hey dan you know what what kind of faith do you have and i thought man this guy is really bold So I got to know him better. I still hated him, but I got to know him. I loved him. Loved him, but hated him. It's a really weird relationship. But he told me something that really stuck with me that changed my life at the time in my work life. He said, John, he goes, "I, I have to use the resources God gave me. He said, not just my money. He said, those relationships, the influence, you know, the opportunities I have, I have to use that for God. And I thought, okay, well, so I started coming to work and wearing my, you know, faith a little bit more on my sleeve and just, you know, talking to people, how God was changing my life, how he was working or talking to me and, you know, my priorities. I This, this is actually the most impactful thing of my career is that I would actually go around to uh, my colleagues and ask them, hey, how can I pray for you? Then I'd actually write it down. And then I'd mark my calendar to check up with... Um, you know, Tanya and see if her, um, you know, her husband's knee was recovering. Um, I'd tell them I was still praying for her. And you know what? We all hear everyone say, praying for you, praying for you, but people aren't really praying for you. Not all the time. Here, I believe that we are. But w- that was what was really, uh, you know, life-changing for people to hear someone and have somebody follow up and really care. They saw, they saw that I genuinely loved them, that I cared for them. And it started to build relationships that today are still strong. It gave me the opportunity to talk to them. In fact, many people would come into my office, shut the door behind them, and say, I don't even know who else to talk to but you. Would you pray for me? Now, the last part of this story was a challenging one for me because it also, God gave me an opportunity to do something I wasn't really ready for. Um, That same boss uh, was diagnosed with uh, terminal brain cancer. And he, it came on fast. He passed out at work one day, and three months later he was dead. And he wasn't even 50 years old yet. And, and I built a relationship with him and he, with me, and I was so concerned about his eternity. I, I'm, I'm thinking, this guy's so close. He's, he's, he's witnessing more than I am. Uh, he, he knows God, but he doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't have salvation. And I was worried about that. So I volunteered to be a caregiver for him. For a period of over a month. And I'll tell you. You don't know what you're living for. till you're face to face every day with death. Okay. I had to go to his house early in the morning. And I would change him. Right. Get him ready for his treatments. I'd put on his socks and shoes. I'd take him to Johns Hopkins for his treatments. I'd I'd get him there and, and put him in his hospital gown take off his clothes, and, and it was, it was it, 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 horrible to see this man wasting away. And it, it really struck me, and I, I, but I just I was compelled to do this. I had to do this. I had to earn the opportunity to witness to him, to give him that, that eternal future, that hope to talk to him about my personal experience, and I did. And I had an opportunity in many car rides when he was silent. And I, I could tell he was listening. Now, I don't know. I, I, I didn't, you know, this is not one of those stories where he broke down and cried and, and, I, and I led him to the Lord. I don't know what he did with that. But I do know that by the time he was on his deathbed, I had many opportunities to witness to him and his family and, and my colleagues in those experiences. And when I was there at the funeral, it wasn't just some guy that worked with Carmen. It was, I was family to them, and so they knew the reality of that. We don't all get those opportunities, right? But we have to take these opportunities seriously. We have to know that, you know, we get trapped into this material world and forget that we are above the material world. We're spiritual. We're, we're meant to last forever, but we can't take, you know, all this attention off of God and, and start thinking about the, the worries of this world. Now, our challenge is the same as what Jesus challenged his disciples with, right? Make friends for yourself in heaven. I, I think of, you know, to be honest with you, if I was, I was in operations for many years, and if you don't measure something, you, 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 it goes unnoticed, okay? And so think about your own lives. Are you, are you measuring your life? Are you thinking about it? Are you thinking about in a given week or month? Like, you know, are you really listening to the Holy Spirit? How much time are you spending? How much money are you spending? How much, what are you spending your time on? Are you getting distracted? I, I told the story before um, to several people. It's like the first year of my marriage. I didn't have a scale in the house, and I didn't realize I gained 40 pounds in one year. It was crazy. Good cooking. I mean, my wife, excellent. But you, if you don't measure it, you don't know what's happening. Okay? You have to be intentional about this. Please, write it down. Be intentional. Think about what God wants you to do. Change never happens by accident. Okay? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the truth that you give us uh, and how refining it is. It's, it's always humbling to, to open your word, to examine our lives, to understand that You want this joy for us, Lord. You want us to follow your path, walk in the works that you have prepared for us, Lord. You have not made us for these earthly treasures. You have made us for something greater. May we be used by you, Lord, in all that we do. Amen. So as we close, if God was speaking to you in any way today, don't let the distractions of this world settle you back into paralysis. It happens all the time. We don't want to change, right? Just change one thing. Find your karma. And I promise you that, you know, what you get out of life will be so much more than what you put into it. Let's pray. Lord, speak to each of us as we leave today that uh, before we get back to work on Tuesday after the holiday that we we would seek your will for us Lord and know the path that you'll have us take. Guide us Lord to do our part of your work and give us joy